Thanks for joining us again. It's Oktoberfest, Jared. Thrill Me Podcast, Oktoberfest. Five films, five horror films, over five weeks, with five beers attached. Mm. Um, taking into account the old Munich Beer Fest <laughs> in October. So we're trying to roll a few things together, a few things we feel our listeners would be are all keen on. Yeah. I f- personally, I feel like we've got a similar level of credibility to as uh, Scotchtoberfest, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> very, very similar to Scotchtoberfest. <laughs> Tonight's film... Return of the Living Dead mm. from 1985. Now, Jared, before we go into anything else, what's the beer that 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 mixes well with Return of the Living Dead? Well, I felt that you know, being in a being in a part of the part of the world that's blessed to have a couple of excellent breweries close by, that we would you know kick it off with a. a, a a little piece from Capital Brewing Co. A nice little piece of business from Capital Brewing Co. It's the Rock Hopper IPA, Adam. I felt there was only one selection here, and uh, <laughs> I, I really felt like, well, firstly, just you know, describing the beer as on the can, it says big and juicy. This West Coast IPA is loaded with tropical hop flavours and balanced with a refreshing dry finish. Well, I can tell you, she was a fucking dry finish the next morning. Last time I got into these ones. <laughs> Uh, because at 1.8 standard drinks a can, it's easy to lose track. And um, I felt this was a natural natural mix because after the first session of Rock Hoppers, I can tell you, I woke up the next morning, but I was certain that I was dead. So <laughs> Return of the Living Dead was a nice – I felt it was a natural natural fit for this one. Yeah, look, if – the can says a dry finish, Jared, but I believe yours was a bit of a fucking wet finish. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking chubbed it all over your shoes. Yeah. <laughs> it may have been a little bit of that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I have look. I've sampled rock hoppers on a couple of occasions, and I think one of those nights I decided to come home and, and chuck on a little bit of NBA 2K on the, uh, on the PlayStation. <laughs> And immediately I was seeing double. <laughs> I was I was playing two games in two K in front of me. So yeah, that was a that was a strange finish to the night. But yeah, the rock hoppers have had an impact on me a couple of times. Well, look, let, if if you're gonna grab Return of the Living Dead, grab yourself a rock hopper. Let's crack it now, Jared. And cheers to week one mm-hmm. of Oktoberfest. Return of the Living Dead. Let's do plus it. Plus the Capital Brewing Co. Rock Hopper. Hmm. Fruity. Bit of a dry finish. How's that one going? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it seems to, uh, seems to have a, you know, uh, it's, it's definitely got, uh, it's loaded with tropical hops. I can see that. But, yes. Of course. Nice fruity. Nice fruity oh, beer. I'm a two-pot screamer, so fuck. <laughs> So in rock hopper terms, half a can and you'll be fucked. Yeah. yeah. This, we may hit some technical difficulties later. <laughs> yeah. Technical <laughs> difficult at about halfway through the podcast, I think. Exactly. All right. Let's quickly jump into it. We, we had a lot on the plate of what we'd watched when we did the Tombstone episode, but have you got anything else? Yeah, I do. I've watched, Recent viewing. I've watched a little bit. I have watched a little bit. In recent weeks, the first one that I'll make mention of is I worked my way through the season of Midnight Mass 
on Netflix. Oh, yeah? uh, Mike Flanagan, obviously a uh, bit of a fan of Mike Flanagan. He's done some pretty good work. I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. I think it's, I mean, it's not super scary. It kind of, it kind of fails a little bit in that regard. There are some excellent parts that do generate a little bit of scare, and uh, especially early on. But as it kind of moves along, that sort of drops off a little bit. But the premise is really good. I wasn't expecting what they were going for, and it is something that's been touched on before in in other things that I've seen. But I really enjoyed it, and there were some really excellent scenes of dialogue-heavy stuff based around faith and death and what's beyond it and all this sort of stuff. But, yeah, I, was, I, I really enjoyed it, and it was a nice, nice sort of seven episodes. I reckon it probably could have been six, but given Netflix's issues normally with, with bloated that one extra episode didn't really feel like it dragged it down too much for me. It does meander a couple of a couple of times, but I yeah, I, I liked it a lot. So if you if you enjoyed Mike Planning and stuff, you'll probably like this one. I think the Hill House stuff is probably his best one that he's done with Netflix, but this one was more you know people have people have noted kind of Stephen King connections, and I I, I can see them too where the where the story ends up sort of moving to. But uh, yeah, if you like Mike Planning, I don't think you'll be too disappointed with it. So okay. that was one that I got onto. In terms of film viewing, I made my way through a couple actually. I I, I noticed that Free Guy popped up for free, funnily yes. enough, on Disney, Adam. So I watched Free Guy. Uh, I didn't mind it. It was it was okay. I was expecting that it wasn't going to be all that good. Probably better than I expected. But classic Ryan Reynolds stuff. You know, he's quipping the whole way through. Uh, you get a few laughs mm. out of it. I watched the latest animated Mortal Kombat flick called um, Battle mm-hmm. of the Realms. Not too bad. They certainly pushed the violence, which you kind of expect from those things. Got on to the first of Welcome to Blumhouse's efforts for this year, or one of the first two, I should say, called Bingo Hell. All right. How was that? It was okay. It was okay. I felt it's it sort of, in the end, it felt a little bit half-baked. It felt you could see what they were yeah. going for. You know, they, they get Richard Brake involved, who's always a, a pretty creepy sort of presence to have in some of these roles. But it just sort of felt like it didn't quite reach what it was going for. But I would, I would definitely check it out. I'm going to be pushing through those. I think the other one on there is uh, called Black, uh, Black as Night. I think, which is a vampire one set in New Orleans, I believe. So mm-hmm. I'll probably check that out in the next couple of nights. So okay. B- Bingo Hell certainly didn't put me off the whole the whole thing. I really love the fact that they're doing this and pu- putting out the original stuff at this time of year. The last couple, Adam. Mm-hmm. I decided to um, subscribe to Joe Bob Briggs's Patreon because oh, yeah. at seven bucks a month. I was looking into it and I was looking at what you get. And given that, you know, we've kind of recently been able to, to get in amongst what the bloke's offering it with Shudder, I've been a really big fan of what's what's been put out. So I noticed on Patreon they've actually they, they actually give you access to a lot of his old Monster Vision stuff. Right. So I jumped on board. I, I got on board at the seven bucks a month. Actually allowed me to watch his thoughts on tonight's uh, little movie that we're checking out. But another one that oh, he really? put... Yeah, yeah, he had a Return of the Living Dead on there, so I checked that one out. But uh, he actually... <laughs> the first video I came across mentioned one called Arcade. 
which was freely available to me on Tubi. So I thought, okay. why not? Why not? Now, Joe Bob's thoughts on arcade unfortunately only went for about four minutes. So I, f- I fucking shortchanged myself on that <laughs> on that one unintentionally. Oh no! But very quickly, I realised it's a full moon feature, and it was directed by um, a bloke called Albert Pion, uh, oh, yeah. who has tossed out a few interesting things, including uh, Cyborg with JCVD. That's one of his. He'd have a hundred credits, wouldn't he? <laughs> yeah, he's got a few. He's got a fair few up there. To be honest, it wasn't that <laughs> bad. Look, it, uh, it 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 went sort of hand in hand with something like Lawnmower Man. Oh. Uh, yeah. So, oh. So, oh. Sorry, sorry. Can you? <laughs> I thought we said that little uh, subgenre had died. Yeah, very well, quick death. It was a techno horror, Adam. So, given you know, we know you love those ones. So, perhaps you should check it out. Look, it's pretty ordinary, but I've got to say, considering the budgets that Full Moon's usually going for, their mm. special effects are not anything worse than what Lawnmower Man put out there. I mean, Lawnmower Man seemed to have a lot more money, but decided to go, you know, throw, see how much shit they could throw at the wall and see what would stick. Whereas this one kept it fairly restrained for parts of the movie, and so the effects, although very dated, don't look as bad for the most part. It probably last fifteen minutes or so they push it a little bit, and it does start to show. Pretty pretty badly, and it's a the, the storyline's a little bit bonkers, but it's all right. I've, you know, what I'm finding with these full moon features is they kind of capture stuff that you really do love about cinema. There's this kind of the, the storylines and shit. They go for that kind of wonder and the excitement that you you sort of found going down to the video store when you're a kid. You know, looking for these these sort of films, and they always schlocky type of yeah, films. schlocky schlocky sort of things, things that are a little bit out there. They always seem to capture a little bit of that, even though they are super cheap and sometimes the acting and the, the writing and the directing or whatever are a little bit subpar. But you can see, I mean, you can see why they caught on. You can see why Charles Band was able to continue making movies with minuscule budgets and, and, and punching them out and actually obviously must have turned profits out of them because he wouldn't have been able to keep making them. But you can kind of see why. And I would I would say that this one is not anything worse than... Than something like Lawnmower Man, given the advantages right. that Lawnmower Man had, that's not that's, that's not a compliment to that film by any stretch. No. So arcade no. is not great, but it was enjoyable enough, and that was the second last thing I watched. Well, I watched the the, the last one a little bit earlier, but I had to talk about it as the very last one, Adam, because it is the big ticket item. I watched Welcome right. to Sudden Death. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Should I go? Oh. I think you should, yes. <laughs> Look, I've got a soft spot for Michael Jai White. The man deserves better. <laughs> the man deserves better than this. <laughs> I don't know what they were going for. I feel like the scale of the thing possibly uh, uh, outdid what they could afford. I mean, the ego was writing checks that the body couldn't cash on this one. Right. Jai White is fine. There's a couple of other performers in there that are bringing what you expect with the fight scenes, a couple of fight scenes that are pretty solid. But unfortunately, I mean, it just... For the first hour, it's just going along. There's not much happening, really. Like, obviously, if if you've seen Sudden Death, you know what happens almost beat for beat. But this one, the pacing of it is just really random. They saddle... 
Jai White with this guy who's who's I believe he's actually a stand-up comedian, but whatever's written for him is just shocking. And he is I mean, he's dying. Shocking. He is dying in this one. And as as I said to you, Adam, they can't even get the basketball right. It looks like they had about five minutes to shoot the basketball, so they've cobbled together everything from that. And it's shocking. I mean, I sent you a little clip of the hmm. the editing during the basketball stuff, and it's fucking embarrassing. Like, the, the, the sequence that I sent you, it's like, even if you don't know basketball, you can see that this is off. Like, the sequence that I sent you involves, just to describe it for anyone listening, it involves a guy coming off a, off a screen, and he comes down to the middle, the middle of the floor, plants two feet, to obviously sort of launch for a, for a dunk. While that goes on, they cut to the same bloke, obviously coming from somewhere else. He's, he's dribbling to the, almost to the baseline, and he leaps off one foot for a layup. And you just kind of look at it and go, ah, what? <laughs> they expect you to buy that this is the same sequence. And it also is it's shockingly bad when you're supposed to be using... I mean, they barely use the clock from the game for the entire movie mm. until we get down to the fourth quarter. I'm going to talk a little bit of spoilers because I'm assuming most people that listen to us have, have watched Sudden Death, so you're not going to be surprised by anything that goes on. So a little bit of spoiler territory. If you don't want to hear it, just tune out for 30 seconds or so. The final possessions, speaking of shockingly bad basketball, and this isn't even stuff you need to know a lot about, but... There is a sequence where the score is 103 to 101. Okay, so we know that the game's going to be tied because we know we know the, the story, even though it's called overtime and not sudden death. Uh, <laughs> we're going to overtime. We're going to overtime slash sudden death. But <laughs> they, show this, they show this little sequence where a bloke obviously scores, quite obviously scores, but the shot doesn't show the basket. So this bloke scores, and you can see the guy from the other team grab the ball and go to step out of bounds to inbound it. Once again, a very bad cut showing him just inbounding the ball. So I'm like, okay, so they've edited to try and show us he doesn't score, but anyone with fucking eyes could see that he did. But we'll buy that, so it's still 103-101. They go down to the other end of the floor, and old mate clearly hits a three-pointer. I mean, they shoot it. So that he's fucking standing behind the three-point arc. He hits the three-pointer. The score goes to 103-103. And this guy goes to the fucking free-throw line. And I'm sitting here going, what the fuck's happening? Like, I don't know what is happening here. So it was just, I mean, it was embarrassing in that regard. And and uh, as I said, Michael Jai White deserves better. I mean, the bloke has toiled for years just on the fringe, has gotten a couple of opportunities, but has never really got the uh, the credit that I feel like he, he could have. So that was disappointing. I don't know why I thought it was going to be better, but it was, <laughs> it was disappointing. Look, you're not in a good position when the Van Damme picture is more coherent and Van Damme's a better presence. You know that the sequel's probably not that good. And no. quite frankly, surely, surely, Jared, you've got enough money to cobble together to go down and shoot a number of cameras at a fucking high school game. 
right? Correct. With a, and, and just get a rent-a-crowd in. Yeah. And spend a couple of days just taking footage. Yeah, they clearly and got let in these a, guys play. They clearly got in a decent arena. But, yeah, like you said, figure out a way. If you can't get that done in that time frame, so, so much so that every time – I mean, like I said, it felt like there was five minutes because there was also a sequence that showed up twice. And it was very obvious because a bloke does this little pass between his legs. And so I saw that twice and I'm like, that's the same fucking, that's the same thing we saw 10 minutes ago. So if you can't get enough of that, like you said, figure out a way to just get close up shit on the floor and shoot it in a, in a high school gym. Hmm. Like there's got to be ways around that. Shoot it with a fucking green screen with a bad CGI crowd. If you have to, I don't care. Just because the way that you did it didn't work. Hmm. But yeah. Disappointing because I believe I was I was all over that as well. Yeah, yeah. It was. It I was don't know bad why either, but it was bad all round. The writing was just yeah. Once again, I'm still waiting for Jai White to be given the credit he deserves. Well, yeah, he, he worked with Christopher Nolan for fuck's sake. I know, but he got five minutes, not even in in that one. Yeah, I know, but five minutes with Christopher Nolan, he deserves better. <laughs> yeah, yeah. For making this kind of schlock. True. All right, so that, that's everything for you? Yeah, that's it for me. That's it. Okay, mine was short and sweet. We kept on with our sort of lockdown classics. I wouldn't really call these classics. I'd call them sort of entertaining features. We we did American Pie. I think that's kind of borderline classic because I really do like that, and I think it's a, a really good sort of coming-of-age comedy. Yeah, still very funny, even though it's, there's a few yeah. few elements that haven't aged no, so there's well. there's a few elements. Yeah, exactly. But other than that, it is quite amusing. We watched Rocky Balboa, which I'm, I've actually got a real soft spot for Rocky Balboa. I think they did a fantastic job with it. Yeah, love it. Under the circumstances of where Rocky was... It could have been an absolute shit show. But Stallone does good things there. He does. And the last one I did watch was a new Netflix one called The Guilty mm-hmm. with Jake Gyllenhaal. Yes. I believe it's a, a remake of a, is it a Swedish or something like that film? And the premise is one of those kind of phone booth style on the phone with someone trying to stop a, a what what is an abduction. It just it did it just doesn't work. Mm. As far as I was concerned, it wasn't after about half an hour. It's not compelling at all. Other than Jake Gyllenhaal, who gives a good performance, the the film's just it kind of sucks. Yeah, and it kind of ends in such a such a shitty way. They're trying to, I kind of get where they were trying to go, but they just go in a really poor direction with it, and it's not very well done. Uh, certainly, don't waste your time in my book. Right. Yet it's got some really good pedigree. It's directed by Antoine Fuqua, who did The Equalizer. It's written by the bloke who wrote True Detective. So the pre- pedigree's there, but it's just not very good. So disappointment in that one. Right. But that's it for me. Short and sharp, mate. Short and sharp, short and sharp. All right, well, let's take a break. Charge your rock hoppers. And here's the trailer for 1985's Return of the Living Dead. They were resting in peace. 
until they were rudely interrupted. What do you want to do, Scud? Put on the gravestone? I just want a party! Man, this place is a mess! Now, look who's awake. They're on the way. They're back from the grave and ready to party. I think things are getting out of hand. The Return of the Living Dead, rated R. Return of the Living Dead from 1985. Directed by Dan O'Bannon, who directed The Resurrected. It's produced by Tom Fox, who produced Return of the Living Dead Part 2. The story was by Rudy Ricky John A. Russo, who... Co-wrote Night of the Living Dead I thought you and said, Russell Steiner. I thought you said Rick Rude there for a minute. <laughs> no, not, not Rick Rude. No. <laughs> he was too busy putting first people in the fucking figure four leg lock and, and getting all oiled up and shit. And Russell Steiner, I believe, may have been one of the actors in the in Night of the Living Dead. Yes, he is. They're coming to get you, Barbara. That's him. Oh, okay. Okay. And the screenplay was by O'Bannon. It stars Clue Gulliger as Bert, James Caron as Frank, Don Calfa as Ernie, Thom Matthews as Freddie, and Beverly Randolph as Tina. The budget was $4 million. The box office was $14 million worldwide. And this bit of trivia is interesting, and it came off Internet Movie Database, so I can't be 100% sure if it's correct. But the part of Bert was initially offered to Leslie Nielsen. <laughs> Who wanted too much money? <laughs> Deservedly so. <laughs> yeah, it would have been a totally different film. <laughs> oh, can you imagine? I mean, Frank Drebin in a in a zombie outbreak would be fucking outstanding. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, Jared. What's your take on Return of the Living Dead? This is another one that I'd given a bit of distance. I hadn't seen it for, for quite a few years, so I was really keen to to have another look at it. Also keen to have a couple of rock hoppers at them, so, you know, just hand <laughs> in hand. I always remember having a having a bit of a fondness for it, and, yeah, nothing's really changed. I really dig it. It's, it's good fun. I think it manages to get some of those really effective sort of panic moments of, of people trapped inside not being able to get out or trying to, you know, trying to to, um, have their escape plans coming together, but without kind of the seriousness of the Romero flicks. It has a a little bit more fun, a little bit more comedy on the surface. I think the effects for the most part are really, really good. I love the Tar Man effects. I just love that. Mm. And going back to it, I probably have a little bit of a, a little bit more of a downer on how the zombies act. I'm open to seeing different interpretations of all this stuff, but over the mm. years, I think I've settled more on Romero's version of zombies as being the, the the kind of height of it, and I think that in part is informed by you know reading some some of the stuff that people have put together. Something like Simon Pegg talking about why Romero's zombies are better. I kind of agree with that. And I'll, uh, you know, I'll go into a little bit about that later. So looking back on it, I don't particularly love the way that the zombies act, but it's a hell of a lot of fun. And I, I, I stick at a three and a half for this one. I was very close to a four. I, I settled on a three and a half, but I really do love this one. Yes. Uh, it, look, it lacks some character development, and I'll get to that in the in the dislikes. It's it's probably one of my only dislikes, but 
It's extremely effective. It's very entertaining. And it has a number of memorable scenes. And it's had a couple of interesting ideas, which I thought they, did, they, don't, they didn't really bother to dig into, but they just kind of hit them briefly, and they, they, they are really nicely handled. So overall, again, three and a half, I was, I was right on the wave of a four. Some might say I'd had one too many rock hoppers at the time. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe that was fucking impeding my judgment when I mentioned that. But overall, I think it's a fantastic film. Speaking of... And it's um, actually aged pretty well. It has. It has. But, uh, yeah, speaking of, Adam, it's time for me to just sort of impede things a little bit more, um, crack another one. So Crack a second rock hopper. <laughs> yeah, I think you... Yeah, I, I agree. I agree with what you said there. There are some things that they do touch on briefly that could have been explored a little more and made it really more interesting on, in terms of some of the stuff that I mentioned that I don't particularly like about zombies in this one. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I agree. There's some stuff that they did w- where it was really sort of like, hey, this this could have been something there. Yeah, straight into the likes. James Karen and Clue Gulliger are both excellent. Yeah, like, really good. There's really something good. about having seasoned actors in those roles that kind of give a bit of meat and some humour to the piece. Yeah. And they're natural. They're very natural. Yeah, the delivery is just just like you said, it's so it's so natural. There's there's I mean, Gulliger is just a he spends half the movie telling people what to do and you know, to, you know, trying to trying to cover his own ass, but he's so fucking charming while he's doing it and so amusing yeah. in, in a couple of parts. Uh, I'm a, I'm slightly disappointed that he didn't start, you know, yelling at Tom Matthews about cheap birdseed or something like that, but look, I, yeah, I'll take yeah. I'll take what I can. Also Good to see Tom Matthews anywhere, really, because he didn't didn't really have a long run, but he had run he had a run in a niche that we really like in a couple of movies that we really like. So it's yeah, it's good to see him anyway. Yeah. Really. yeah, exactly. And look, he doesn't get a lot to do. And the great thing about the those two older actors, uh, and you can probably throw Don Calfer in there as well. There's not a lot of information about their characters. Again, character development is slim, but these guys take that and run with it and give it something more. They flesh it out themselves, mm. basically, in the performances, which is great, and it really helps to have that. Yeah, I guess that's that's kind of what you mentioned, the advantage of having seasoned performers who just give you a little bit of that that you can infer for yourself in their interactions yeah. and, and stuff like that, especially given that I read a brief interview with Tom Matthews that mentioned that Clue Gulliger had, he kind of butted heads with Dan O'Bannon because he got he got pulled into the role late. So he sort of mentioned that Gulliger had a lot of pressure. Hearing that, you, you don't see it at all, really. No. I think their performance no. is really good. So you don't really see any of that pressure and and... That comes back to what you said, just seasoned professional. Correct. FX overall on a very small budget are very well done. Yeah, really good. Uh, the Tar Man especially, but some of the zombie work, the zombie effects, some yeah. of the gore this, comes together nicely. Yeah, some of it's excellent. Like Tar Man, Tar Man is a standout. There's one where, you know, the, the skeleton comes up and then fucking opens its eyes and the eyeballs are there, which, you know, it does, doesn't make a lot of sense, but, hey, it looks pretty good. <laughs> the, the kind yeah. of half body on the table 
all that stuff looks really good. There's a couple of moments that aren't so great, like the zombie that kind of ducks in and says, send more paramedics. He doesn't, you know, you look at that and you say, okay, maybe that's that's where they skimped, some of the more lively-looking zombies. Yeah. But, yeah, for what they got and, and what they spent, looks great. And they a couple of neat little tricks, like a, a particular like in terms of the special effects for me was the the little the zombie with no legs that they they seem to have got played by yeah. by an amputee who yes. fucking leaps back up and chases Ernie back into the morgue even though there's yeah. no there's no limbs there and they've made it look like that that was somebody who had limbs and now you know had zombified has them has them removed but still comes at him that looks fucking fantastic and he's creepy I as know. hell. Yeah, it's fantastic. And so they really sort of stretch their special effects budget. Yeah. And get away with it pretty damn well, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I do like the opening opening setup. It takes maybe ten minutes, but we, we get us we get introduced to the, the older characters and the younger group, the location, so the medical supply company and the graveyard, and the basic premise is effectively showcased. Yeah. Within that 10-minute period. It's, so it's a nice, solid start to get you going. Yeah, it's similar to, I mean, it's no surprise that Russo had some of the initial story ideas because it is similar to Night of the Living Dead in that it's pretty contained, but mm. it seems really broad. It does seem like a zombie outbreak that's affecting more than what you actually see. Even though, really, yeah. in the movie, we've got we've got three locations basically, all yeah. right, all right next to each other. Yeah, uh, I really like the split dog coming alive. Yeah, yeah, that was excellent, actually. <laughs> and the way James Karen handles it, he's just like fucking kill it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Great. Also, like, <laughs> he just, grabs a crutch and starts going off. Yeah, it's it's a really cool idea. But also, you see the butterflies. The butterflies. Just in the background, there's a but the butterflies yeah, that are pressed to the board and their wings are flapping and shit. Like that that was a really cool idea to kind of introduce what was happening on a smaller scale. Mm. And I think exactly. the, the the setting of being like the the kind of the supply company is really effective in that regard. Because it makes it yes, it exactly. makes a ridiculous thing. Fairly believable, fairly grounded, really, considering how how over the top and ridiculous it it really is. Yeah, exactly. I love the fact that when Trash, the character of Trash, starts stripping in the cemetery, you just hear out of shot. You hear a black character go, "Let's get some light over here." Trash <laughs> yeah. is taking her clothes off again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was gold, absolute gold. <laughs> oh man. Yeah, very uh, funny. Very I've funny. Some, I've got some things to say about her character. Yeah, later on, but um, I just couldn't stop laughing at that. That was just fucking hilarious. Yeah, yeah, it's funny that that group is. It's one of those things where, at the time, you see a group of young actors together or whatever. But down the track, in terms of being a fan of horror movies and stuff, it's a really neat little group to see like you got to it mm. you, you got uh, you know the the big fella from Friday part 5 what's his name Mark Vincenti I think his name was you've got Demon you've got Miguel Nunez you, yep you've got um, Linnea Quigley who's obviously made a bit of a, a career out of being the, the scream queen sort of thing so 
Yeah, it's really cool to see that little group. Could have done without Brian Peck. Um, not sure if you know much about him, but pretty scummy human being. No. So, uh, yeah. No, I don't know much about Brian Peck. Yeah. Which one was Brian Peck? So he's the bloke with the little sort of blonde mohawk. Oh. It's more to do with kind of real life. Uh, essentially, he's caught up in the whole Brian Singer stuff. So, oh. yeah, he's got some very unsavoury right. things that he's been convicted for, I believe. So, uh, yeah, not great to see Brian someone Peck. like that in there. But other than that, the, the group is, is uh, it's as a horror fan, it's really nice to see some of those people together. Yeah, exactly. I really love that that scene where they, they try and kill that reanimated corpse in the medical supply company place because it is fucking hilarious. Yes, <laughs> yeah. I couldn't stop laughing about the way they're trying to fucking handle it. He's like, hold him down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, that's where, I mean, that, that, that whole, there's like a stretch there where it's, it's hilarious because Clue Gulig is doling out orders and Frank's fucking wailing the whole time. And <laughs> like you said, they put a pickaxe through its head and then they're sitting there going, you said this would work. He's like, I saw it in a frigging movie. <laughs> and then <laughs> next thing he you know, he saws its head off and it runs off. <laughs> Yeah, that was excellent. It kind of, oh, I, I, I loved it too because it mixed up the expectations. I mean, at, at the time, so my understanding is that when Night of the Living Dead got big, that Russo and George Romero came to, to a legal agreement that Russo could retain the Living Dead title and Romero mm. could continue making them, but that's why his were the dead rather than the living dead. So mm. it kind of mixes up your expectations. I mean, if you were going into this knowing that that's that's what what was happening, that it's in a way it's a continuation of the Living Dead stuff, the Night of the Living Dead. When yeah. you see that going on, you expect, oh yeah, okay, so the pickaxe to the head, that's going to finish it off. So it mixes up your expectations, but it's like you said, there's a sense of humour to it. It's piss funny while you're watching it. So yeah, I, I really like that as well. Yes, and I, I, I dug that the way that they reanimated the, the graveyard, which is the smoke coming from the crematorium into the air, which is then rained down on the cemetery. Yeah. I just thought it was a really cool way of doing it. Good little way you know? to escalate We hadn't things. seen it before either. No, you know, escalating things, kicking it into gear, sort of takes this little, even though we said, you know, that, that the movie is pretty, it's still pretty contained, it's the way that they use that to kind of spread it out is, uh, yeah, I like that as well. Yeah. Really good way of sort of opening it up a little bit, but not too far. Yes. First time we see Tar Man and he gives us the old brains. Yeah. <laughs> I love the way the actor in the suit moves too. It's almost like he's a marionette. Well, yeah, I actually, I mean, I looked at it and I was like, it's kind of, it's like he's a, He's one of the kind of zombies that we'd come to to recognise, mixed with like a a muppet or something, like you said, a marionette. Yeah. The face looks like that very kind of muppet esque because of the big eyes and stuff like that, and the you know the mouth being very pronounced when it moves up and down. But yeah, like you said, the movements. He's kind kind of dragging a leg, and yeah. yeah, I thought that. I just love it. I love the the effect of that one. Uh, we don't see him greatly, but but. Every time it's it's on the screen, I, I really loved it. Well, it's interesting because I'd forgotten about this, but he's kind of got some smarts. 
He uses the winch to pull the door off. Yes. To get at her. Yep. And I thought that was really interesting. It wasn't sort of fully fleshed out, but mm-hmm. it was just interesting to see a zombie operate with with a brain almost. Yeah. Which I thought was a really good way of doing it. It was simple but effective. Yeah, definitely. Like I said, I've got some issues with that stuff, but I'm I'm open to seeing stuff like that. Maybe it could have been handled better. Well, it's someone's interpretation of it, you know, like so I'm 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 open to seeing different interpretations. It's, it's like, you know, the the running zombies and and when it's not necessarily a zombie, uh, you know, Zack Snyder obviously with Dawn of the Dead running zombies. 28 days later with a zombie that's not necessarily a zombie. So that's why they yeah. explain the running and all that sort of stuff. So I'm always I'm I'm happy to see different interpretations of it. There is some things about this stuff that I don't particularly like. But yeah, okay. in those contained moments like with with Tarman doing that and with the one talking to them, there's there's stuff yes. about that that I do really dig and I think could have gone a little bit a little bit further. Yeah, agreed. I love the scene when we finally get the teens going outside and the uh, the, the graveyard starts, everyone starts coming up out of the ground and they, they have that song, Do You Want a Party? Yeah, yeah, that was awesome. I think I think it just really sums up the whole thing, the the entertainment value of the film, the, you know, like the, the trying to have, have a good time with it. And I think that whole sequence kind of sums that up. Yeah, I think, too, it's... It's a real kind of throwback to the time period that we've got a fondness for as well, that kind of cock rock sort of hair metal sort of <laughs> sounding yeah. kind of song and the look of the punks where it's just that ridiculous yeah. you know, chains and shit hanging everywhere. Like, yeah, I really dug that as well. I really liked it. Yeah, it was just an interesting – it was an interesting way to, way to place it, but I think it gives the – it sort of sets the film off on that still staying with the – entertaining sort of tone and not trying to go with anything too serious, you know, like a Night of the Living Dead was. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Yep. So I think it was a nice way to go. Uh, two, the two Ambos being killed. Yes. I love it when he turns the lights on and there's just fucking a wall of zombies in front of the, the amb- ambulance. Yeah, that was... Some of those sequences were where they kind of artificially pumped up the scale, where those yeah. those guys get attacked by a fucking wave of zombies. Yeah, and that was again where, how they're sort of coordinated. Yeah, I, I like those scenes as well. And I did. I must admit, I did like the bit where we see the zombie chewing the, the Zambo's fucking brains out, and then he hears the radio go off. Yeah. And he gets in and goes, uh, "Yeah, ten uh, four receiving or whatever. Uh, send another ambulance." Yeah, yeah. Send more paramedics. Just, <laughs> that was good. Yeah, I just, good. I just dug that shit. You know, it was interesting. It was funny. It was, you know, it just, just again added to that cheeky vibe that the film had kind of built up. Yes. Now this is the bit that. It's probably gonna, yeah. You know, as you said, you, you you've got some problems with the way some of this works, but I like the skeletonized zombie that attacks. I believe it's our mate Brian Peck, chews his brains out, and then gets cut in half, and they use it to sort of interrogate it, yeah. and tie it down to interrogate it. And I thought that stuff was interesting. The whole thing where she's like, you know, why they said why do you do it, and she's like to stop the pain, 
the pain of death and all this sort of stuff. I thought that was kind of an interesting, intriguing idea. Yeah. It could have potentially, in another film, may have been mined a little deeper. But this movie was, you know, it was running at a, at a, at a fast clip and it wasn't going to stop to explain all that. Yeah, well, that's which it, which in in the end is a good thing. Correct. Yeah. I think you. I think you sort of. I think you hit it on the head. It's a really interesting thing that comes up short when you when you think about it too much. So maybe if they went, maybe if they went into things, it might have sucked. But as mm. it stands, it's a cool little moment that you look at and you say, yeah, it didn't really go anywhere, though. But for that 30 seconds to a minute where they're, where they're talking to it, really good stuff. Yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't go anywhere. Like, and another film may have pressed that idea yeah. to potentially, Jared, to bad results. It could have gone the wrong way. Yeah. But they just sort of touch on it and then they go, well, we haven't got time for that. We, we're at a breakneck pace because things are really ramping up by that stage. Uh, and the film sort of wisely continues to kind of rocket along towards the end. Yeah. It doesn't sort of stop to sort of mine that, which in one way is negative but in another way is positive because it, it, it realises, well, we know what we are. Yeah, that's right. I really like the shot of trash coming through the where the, the homeless guy is pushing his little cart along and he looks over and you see all the, the smoke and mist in the air and then she just comes walking out of it. Really cool sort of uh, imagery that they've, they've set up there. Just nice. Yeah, I like Nice it. little shots. And I like the kind of way they they sort of, she, she became really pale and she almost had like a vampiric type of look to her face. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, Russell Mulcahy would have cool. loved. Mulcahy would have loved Fucking that scene. Russell, Russell Mulcahy would have eaten that up. <laughs> he would have loved it. Oh, mate, he would have been saying, "Act with the smoke." <laughs> yeah, yeah. Become one with the smoke. <laughs> I think Russell. I think you've been becoming one with the smoke before we jumped on set. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Russell, have you been snorting cocaine again? <laughs> I refuse to answer that question. <laughs> the last 20 minutes is just balls to the wall. It's fucking all happening. Yeah. You've got two different groups split off. You've got Gulliger fucking busting out of the place in a cop car. Yep. You've got... It is just happening. Like You've got James... Uh, sorry, um, Ernie and... Um, and uh, Trish, is it the the? On, sorry, is it Trish? Tina, sorry, in yes. the roof, and Tom Matthews going after them. Yep, uh, it's all happening. You've got the armies realizing that this shit's gotten loose, and we've got to bomb it. It's just all happening, and it's all fucking really, really well played. Um, the pacing of it is well done. The editing is good. You yeah. know, you never feel like oh shit. Every time they cut away to the um, army, I'm bored. No, because no, it's at a cracking they, they, pace. They, yeah, and I think they do a fantastic job. And I think, as you said, it's, I mean, my feeling was that it just keeps getting better as it goes along. I felt like it, it's just the movie yeah. kept on getting more exciting, more tense, kind of more humorous as it went along. 
So yeah, by the end of it, that last twenty minutes is just just a cracking pace. Like you said, they 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 didn't go too deep into the character development and whatnot. So the army stuff in particular, that the army bloke looked fairly amusing yeah. to me in that sense. Like how he shows up for two minutes at the start and then two minutes at the end, but it does work. Like it does work for what I- they're going for an exciting sort of exciting pace and and a also really fits with the whole Living Dead thing where it kind of takes elements of that ending but mm, ramps it up to ridiculous levels, you know? Yeah. Just a question too. Is that army blokes, the, the lady that's there, is that his wife? Well, it seems to be his wife, but I tell you what, she's... she's fuck, mate, she looked about a hundred. It's just like... Looks like your fucking grandmother. Yeah, I mean, the, the way he's acting, you'd think, she, you know, there's no there's no wonder she looks 100. She's copying it left and right. I mean, you know, when she he first walks in and she says, how's your day or whatever, and he's like, oh, it's fucking, I can't remember the line, but he basically says something like, oh, fucking shit, as always, or whatever. Then she goes, oh, I cooked you your favourite for dinner, lamb chops. And he goes, had it for lunch. And fucking just walks off. <laughs> Come on, mate. Yeah. Give her a crumb. Good on you, mate. She's trying to hell. At least say, mm, yeah, I'll have them again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> say, oh, you know, I'm feeling Come on, bro. Well, my appetite's a little little light, but I appreciate the effort. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Jesus. Fucking prick of a bloke. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, I love the fact that you've cooked um you've cooked me my favourite dinner. <laughs> But I had eight rock hoppers for lunch, so I'm just going to go and fucking pass <laughs> out in bed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had them for lunch, but I threw them up just recently. <laughs> yeah. After I drank eight rock hoppers. Say something, say something a classy bloke like myself would say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I got you your favourite beer, rock hopper. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What was your name again? <laughs> Ruth. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Top bloke, by the way. Yeah. Top bloke. I also really like that sequence where they run into the tar man again and fucking <laughs> Clue Gulliger takes his fucking head off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this is the stuff that, uh, you know, Night of the Living Dead, <laughs> having watched that again re- just recently and just, you know, absolutely loving it, it doesn't take away from that. It, it's not like it's trying to. Mm. It's not like it's trying to take shots at at that or anything. It, it seems like obviously the split between the two filmmaking groups didn't seem to be necessarily, you know, very tidy. But it doesn't seem like it's trying to fucking shit all over that. It seems like it is trying to pay its nods, but go in its own direction. And I think it does that really yeah. successfully. And that kind of humor is. Is the, that kind of stuff is what you don't see in in the older one? Obviously, you know, standards had moved on a bit in that fifteen year stretch or whatever it was, twenty year stretch since the original. Mm. But yeah, I love the fact that you get a bit of that in this one. Exactly. And my last like was the ending with the army bombing the joint, and then the rain coming down again, and we kind of kick off all over again. Yeah. I just thought it was an, another sort of cool way of of kind of bringing it back around. Yeah. I don't know how the sequel ties into this one. Does it not? No, I can't remember, but I know Tom Matthews and James, James Karen. Karen come back in different roles. Mm. And again, referencing that interview that I read with Tom Matthews, he said that was a financing thing. 
that to get financing for the sequel, there was a Japanese group that said, yeah, we'll, we'll give you the cash, but these two have to be in it. So they kind of right. just brought them back as different characters. Right. I do have the second one floating around there on DVD somewhere, so I think I'll be digging that out and watching it again because I recall enjoying that one too. Yeah, I believe it's kind of almost like a quasi-remake of it. Mm. Have you got any other likes? Well, I mean, uh, we kind of briefly mentioned them, but obviously the Friday the 13th connections. We've got a couple of people there, obviously, a couple of our favourites. Yep. That we mentioned in the in the punk group there. Uh, look, I love Miguel Nunez in this time period. He's fucking. Yes. <laughs> I just I cannot think I cannot look at him without hearing ooh baby ooh baby. <laughs> I just love that. But he's mm. also he's also a very good actor. I think he's a very good actor. Yeah, he's and a he's, handy actor, and he's good in this. You know, I love the fact that he's kind of he's taken on as an equal almost by the older blokes, but he's also. He has these couple of moments where he's breaking down and then fucking Clue Gulliger slaps him <laughs> just kind of... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I love, and I love the fact that he actually kind of survives. Yeah, well, that's right. He's one of the group that's that's going until, obviously, they, they just blow everyone up. But, um, yeah, I love the fact that, that he got to that, that point. I think he, he delivers a pretty good performance throughout that. I also love, we've mentioned it already, Clue Gulliger's excellent, but, again, the dynamics... My favourite line in the movie, and it just it probably says more about me as a person than anything else, but I, I love when Miguel Nunez kind of says, I think it's time you tell us what the fuck's going on. And Clue Gulligan looks at him and goes, I don't have to tell you anything, dick brain. <laughs> just kind of, <laughs> just kind of continues on. But his, his delivery is so fucking good. And it brought back memories for me of him blowing up in Elm Street too about the cheap bird seed and, and birds yeah. fucking, blo- that, that being the cause of birds fucking combusting in the air and shit like that. I just loved it. <laughs> I absolutely loved yeah. it. So that's that great. That came out as my yeah, as my favourite line of the piece in in amongst some pretty good ones. Yeah, agreed. Uh, anything else? No, that was it. That was all my likes. Okay, dislikes. Pretty thin for me, but the acting from the teens, it's not a real great bunch. Apart from Nunes, who is pretty good, uh, and Tom Matthews is okay, but I think the others are a little bit. Lacking, they're not exactly competent. Thankfully, it's sort of fixed by the fact that we spend a lot of time with the older guys. Yeah, so we don't have to worry too much about performance because those older guys are good at it. I think it also hurts that some of them are just like wild, bloody caricatures. Yeah, so it's it's kind well, of well. That's the biggest problem difficult. with the film. There is zero character development for those guys. Nothing. Yeah. Yep. I mean, like, it plays absolutely nothing. It plays to a strength in some ways, and like you said, some of the, the the older guys get not only more chance to to create a little bit of character, but you know, have the experience and the talent to to create a little bit of that on their own. But like you said, the the bunch of teenagers, there seems to be. I mean, at the start, it seems like there's so many of them. What there's six in that car that they roll up in. Well, there's a dude dressed in a. Like a zoot suit? He seems to me to be a bit of a nod to Russell Steiner's Johnny in the original. Mm. Am I off there? Or yeah. Does that, that's what he looked like to yeah, me. Yeah, no, I think you, you're probably correct, but he gets absolutely fuck all to do. Correct. Nothing. Like nothing. And we, you know, we have to have a bit of that. We know we, we, we've got to kill some people off in, 
in some gruesome ways, and they have to do a little bit of that to kick things off before they go into the ones that, that sting a little more because you spend a bit more time with the characters. But like you said, it, it, it's hard to develop any of it in that group. Yeah, and Trash, just, I got I grew tired of her shit quickly when she's rambling on the whole time about death and all that sort of stuff. I was just kind of like, oh, fuck. Like, just from the sheer perspective of her as a character, that talk about caricature. She did nothing but talk about death. Yeah. Nude up and then get ripped to shit. Yeah. That was it. Yep. Like, it was a real flat line. Look, I, look, I don't um, have I don't have a lot of problems with one of those three points that you just raised. No, <laughs> I'm okay with her talking about death. <laughs> yeah, of course. Especially after six or seven rock hoppers. I'm... Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, six or seven rock hoppers. I think her performance is fucking excellent. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but yeah, look, the the middle one, I'm fairly happy with. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But the rest, like, there was just nothing for her to do. No. As far as acting and, and character development wise, she's just kind of there to nude up. Yeah. And it's kind of a striking image they were going for when she's dead and she starts coming out of, as we said, out of the mist and, you know, out of the fog, naked with the leg warmers on. Yeah. And the purple, the purple hair and everything. It's a really striking image. But just to lead up to getting her there, it's just like, fuck mm. hell. Yeah, look. I like the I first think... time we see her and she opens her mouth, I was just like, oh, God. Yeah, look, honestly, I've probably got the least issues with hers because, you know, obviously talking about the time period, she was there to serve a purpose. Yes, I understand that. And that's that's obviously obviously kind of what they went with, the, the role, the, the um, lines leading up to that all. I mean, when you look at it, Hers is probably the one out of that group that actually has a really clearly defined role in what's going on. Yeah, you agreed, know. but really, even in that case, it's very limited. Well, it's so I guess the reason I have the least issue with her character is because it's it's purposely limited. And, you know, say what you will about the time period, that that, that was the, the, the best role for a woman in this movie, basically. You know, I, I probably agree with, with what people might have to say about that one. But the other people in the group are, like you said, the, the fella in the suit, um, he's, he's what, why does he even have lines? Yeah. He could have been excised entirely and it wouldn't have really mattered. Yeah. He, and I him, think he survives, doesn't he? Well, him and, yeah, him and his partner seem to be, yeah, they're in the, in the medical supply thing when, when Clue Gulliger fucking crashes the car and him and Miguel Nunes end up back in that section of it and call yeah. the army. So, yeah, I, I mean, I agree. And I think, like we said, this, this type of movie, you're going to have some of those issues because some people are going to be there just to be knocked over. But funnily enough, Demon is in this movie and he is always my favourite reference in a film that I don't particularly like. I absolutely love coming back to Demon as a guy who's got a couple of minutes on screen before he gets killed and nothing, he's got nothing else to do, but you just absolutely love but it kind seeing of enjoy it. You know? it yeah. yeah. And I think Linnea Quigley's role as Trash kind of feels something similar to that. She was there to do something... And specific. Something specific that she did. 
and some of the other some of the other characters. I feel like yeah, maybe that crew is too big, and maybe you did just have to introduce a couple of people just to fucking wander past the cemetery and get knocked over, like the homeless guy mm. or, or something like that. But mm. yeah, I I know I can see exactly what you're saying that it doesn't necessarily work in that massive group, especially. Oh shit! What's his name? Suicide? Is it suicide? The the yeah, big yeah. fella from Friday part part five. I mean, he's yeah. He might be the worst. He's fucking useless. Because yeah, yeah, he's he he gets set up as this as this particular thing, and then when the shit goes down, he gets rolled very quickly, and doesn't really yeah. have any memorable kind of scene to to go down in. Like it's it's just so I. I I totally see what you're saying there, and I I agree for the most part. So that was that was really my only two dislikes. Just that there's not a lot of character development, and there's not a lot of the acting's not great from the yeah. the, the younger crew. Yep. Did you have anything else? That- I did. I've got a couple. I've got a couple to discuss, and I uh, I think you'll probably have okay. some, I think you'll probably have some valuable input on on these ones. So the idea that the barrels... I mean, we cop a lot of shit in this movie. It is over the top. But the idea that the barrels have been stuffed in the basement for however many years they have and the army's looking for them, I still, even with Clue Gulig as kind of remonstrating about, you don't call the fucking army or you don't call the cops or any of this sort of stuff, I still have no understanding of why they just stuffed them in the basement and didn't call anyone. For however long, yeah. Especially if they knew that there was fucking bodies and this sort of shit in there. Look, I see that you've got this little bit of, especially from James' character, Karen's sort of character's point of view. He's got this little bit of, you know, I've got I've got something down here that you're going to want to check out to the other employees. Mm. But if you know there's fucking bodies in there, why have you stuffed them down there for? We're led to believe that this is tied into Night of the Living Dead, right? And that this happened in that mm. time period, but names were changed and things were changed. So we're saying that they've been down there for what? I, I haven't looked at the exact time period, but 15 plus... What, 20 years? 15, 15 20 years? years? Is that what we're saying? And that nobody said, oh, boss, do you reckon we should just fucking call the army and get this shit out of here? Like, yeah, there's a corpse in that one there. It's quite, Fuck, better ring the number that's on it. <laughs> yeah. This whole it's shit, pretty simple. This whole shit could have been avoided if you called him fucking when the delivery turned up wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So out of all the things I have to cop in this movie, that's the one that I find to be the hardest. Is like, I'm not leaving that down there. <laughs> I'm, not, yeah. I'm not stuffing him in the basement going, I don't want the army to come here. <laughs> I'm calling the yeah, army I am immediately. Definitely calling that in. <laughs> yeah, immediately. Yeah. Even though I did find it funny when he starts going, "Oh, this is made by the bloody US of A," and he slaps the canister and the shit comes flying yeah. out. Like that comes was that was out, very yeah. that was very funny. But yeah, out of all the things that we cop in this movie, that's that's the hardest one to take, I think. Yeah. The other one too. So I spoke about previously that I'm open to. I feel like I'm pretty flexible with different interpretations of characters. I think that's just, I feel like, number one, it comes with the territory when we're fans of things like Halloween and Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street where the the modus operandi is find the cheapest person available who's willing to do it 
give them a couple of kind of constraints, but then let them fucking just go ahead and make it. You sort of have to take, I feel like you have to become a little bit flexible with, with takes on characters that you're familiar with and you, you love to sort of continue enjoyment of it. So I find, I find I'm pretty flexible with that sort of stuff. I like to see different interpretations of characters and see how they play out. Also being a comics fan that, that comes with the territory. So yeah, I'm open to that, and I, I like doing that. But with zombies, I feel like I've come to the point where, yes, I'm happy to see it, throw it at me. I love seeing things like 28 Days Later, love seeing things like Zack Snyder's um, Dawn of the Dead where they're, they're running and that. But I come back to George Romero's because they seem, for me, in most situations, to represent this sort of inescapable fact that we're all going to die and that if that's what they represent, then it's kind of death, that it's just sort of there, it's kind of looming, and it's, it's going to take you down, but it's not necessarily ca- calculated and, and planned. So yeah. when I look at the zombies in this movie, I kind of look at it and I'm like, oh, I don't love the talking all that much. I do, I do have a bit of fun with kind of the, the brains and all that sort of stuff, but when when they start radioing to send more paramedics and send more cops. I get a bit of a laugh in the yeah. moment, but at the end of the day, I'll look at it and I think, yeah, I don't love it. I don't love it all that much. Yeah, and I would agree that the running and stuff has its place in the right film and has worked, but I do agree that the Romero stuff it brings a different angle to it that I still feel is equally as effective, if not more effective. Mm. The running stuff worked in something like 28 Days Later really, really well because they they didn't tell you it was zombies. They told you they were infected. Yeah, it was a different explanation. So whatever they were. A different, yeah. different explanation and it feels more like, especially now we're, you know, we're going through something like COVID, it feels more like a fucking spreading disease in that one. Yeah. So that one works better in the way it's it's drawn because it's not saying, well, it's zombies, so there's no... They didn't have to conform to specific rules. Yeah. And, you know, each movie... Which is the each, way you get around it. That's right. Each movie kind of redefines its own, its own little rules and, and that sort of thing. And I felt... I guess the issue with this one that, that drags it down just a touch for me is, is the fact that it's kind of conforming to the rules that were already set by mm. Romero and Russo, who was involved in this one, but then he goes to make those changes, and it comes up in points that we mentioned before, like the half-zombie sort of sitting on the table talking to them. So the issue yeah. with that for me is when they're, when, when they're talking about it and talking about how the brains make the pain go away and that sort of stuff, I was looking at that and I'm saying, that's a really... It's it's not a it's an intriguing little idea that is a, a mm. different take on a similar thing that Romero's kind of have come to represent. But the issue for me there is coming from someone like Tom Matthews' character when he turns, that mm. makes total sense because he's still just there. He still looks human. He can still. Yes. You could buy him communicating in that. The one laying on the table, what I come back to is- been buried for years. That's right. I come back to this saying, yeah, 
you've been buried for however long. You're, you're skeletal, but you're the one that's telling us that the brains make the pain go away. I feel like if that's the direction you're going, then the skeletal ones and that should be the ones that are further removed from being able to talk yes. and do all that sort of shit. A fresh corpse, maybe. Correct. That uh, would have been a better idea. Yeah, that's where I come back to. I come back to you're supposedly the one that's been fucking stuffed in a grave or whatever, whereas Tom Matthews was the one that was saying to us, it hurts. I can feel it yes. fucking taking over. It hurts. So him being the one to say, yeah, fresh brains, that makes a bit of sense. But then yeah. this one, you look at it and you're like, okay, so you've been fresh out of the grave for fucking 15 minutes. You're the one that's fucking, fucking last to the body because there's a few other people here that are, you know, full body, racing over, you know, running over and attacking someone. You're fucking dragging yourself <laughs> around. Yeah. But you're the one that's telling us. So you come to this kind of thing where you're sitting there saying, okay, so... So the ones that have been sitting in the ground moving further and further away from humanity are the ones that quickly come back to life and tell us, well, we need brains because that makes it feel better. It's like, no, 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 it should be the other way around, shouldn't it? That's that's what I yeah, came to. That's agreed. what I, I came out of it with. No, agreed. I think, again, they were probably going for striking imagery. Correct. And, you and, know. and like I said, when you look at the moment in itself, it's a great little moment in the film. It's a really enjoyable mm. little piece, and it's a really kind of eerie little, you know, it's fucking sad almost seeing this. Yeah. They, they, they give you this, this sense that, okay, they're dead, but there's still something there. They're still communicating with you. They're still they're longing to be fucking, to, to be free of it, basically. And that fits exactly. almost with what Romero's come together with about being this representation of death kind of looming over you. So, yeah, it's it's exactly what you said before. You get these interesting little moments that that don't get played out. So when you think about them yourself, they don't kind of fit for me. They don't they don't they don't work mm. out to they don't work out to what you would hope they would work out to. I guess is what I'm what I'm saying and that that at the end of the day having just recently gone back to Night of the Living Dead and then, you know, jumping on this to have a little bit of comparison there, this one sort of falls short in that department. Yeah, fair call. Fair call. Anything else from your um, your side of the fence? No, Negatively? no. That, that's, uh, there wasn't a lot to it. There wasn't a lot to it. I really enjoyed it. Just those couple of little things that... that Sort of sat in the back of my mind when we were when we were watching it. Yeah, really enjoyable thing to go back to. Definitely, mate. And that was Return of the Living Dead. Make sure when you get you get a viewing of this on, grab yourself a rock hopper or <laughs> yeah. a couple. Yep. Don't go overboard. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Go for it. Go for it. Because then, like I said, <laughs> you can empathise with the fucking thing laying on the table. Because that's what I felt exactly. like when I woke up after seven or eight rock hoppers and I just thought to myself, make the pain go away, like, somehow. Yeah, great times. I'm sure you remember it fondly. <laughs> All right. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and Podomatic. Send us an email, thrillme at iinet.net.au. We're on Facebook at Thrill Me Podcast Australia. Podomatic at thrillme.podomatic.com. We're also on Instagram at thrillmepodcastau. 
the next episode, week two of Oktoberfest, we're actually going to cover the new Netflix slasher film, There's Someone Inside Your House, uh, and we will advise when we record the episode as to what beer we're going to be chugging at the same time. Do I leave this one in uh, in your hands, mate? Are you gonna are you gonna take care of this one? Or? Uh, look, we have to see the film to see what sort of what jibes best with it. Yeah, yeah. So we we'll have to wait. We we'll have to wait. We'll see. We'll see where we go from there. But can I, before we go, then, before we go, can I get you? Can I get your review of a rock hopper? What does it get out of five? Not bad. Not <laughs> bad. Rock hopper's all right. Three and a half. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Stay close cool. for rock hopper. I go uh, in the midst of drinking a rock hopper. I'm sitting at a four and a half, but um, it dra- <laughs> it gets it gets pulled back down to a four when I think of when I think yeah. of when I've had more than more than three or four of them. When you empty the contents of your stomach onto the floor <laughs> yeah. later in the evening, yeah. I look at it and I go <laughs> half a star. <laughs> But until then, everyone, take it easy and we'll catch up with everyone later. Cheers. Find the podcast at Podomatic or on iTunes. Don't forget to rate and review. Like us on Facebook at Thrill Me Podcast Australia or contact us at Thrill Me, all one word, all lowercase, at iinet.net.au.